Amen. Thank you, Benjamin, and worship team. Good morning, everyone. We're going to go tell it to the masses that he is God, and then we're going to recognize that some of them are going to have a problem with that. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's like. I was so blessed the other day. I was putting my six-year-old granddaughter in the car, and, 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 and it's a journey. You're talking about the Lord all the time, Deuteronomy 6, but she said to me, God is so good, Pop. He made berries to feed the ants. And you know, that's interesting because that's not intuitive for a child to say, God is so good, because Satan does not want people to believe that. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're saying, hey, let's make sure we know what we believe. And so we're doing a series called Rooted in the Faith. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, as you have received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and grounded. And, and in order to be rooted in the faith, you need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. But we don't just come to church for an information seminar. We come to worship. We come for a transformation encounter with the living Lord Jesus. Now, normally, I don't encourage you to study the Bible this way because it's so much, or it's important to learn to read through the Bible verse by verse, one book at a time. But when it comes to doctrines, the doctrines aren't all in one chapter. So we're doing what we call systematic theology. We're doing an overview of what the Bible teaches about these central doctrines. For some of you, this is all new. Some of you don't even have a Bible yet, and we'll gladly give you one. If you need a Bible, just let us know. We have plenty of extras. Just raise your hand if you need one now. We've got ushers ready. But I hope that you're reading the Bible. For some of you, this is the stuff that you need to teach. This is stuff you need to grasp and answer questions. And, and I'm going to suggest that probably somebody's going to ask you a question this week. And maybe you'll hear a verse this morning that will help you to answer their question. So with that in mind, remember that we've been doing the doctrine of man. What is man? And we saw last week he's made the image of God. God made us male and female, but that doesn't mean we could pick our gender. And then we talked about the ramifications of what it means to be in the image of God. Well, this morning, we want to move to the next doctor, which we call the fall of man. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, but Adam's fall was far more destructive. So today, we want to talk about three things, the characteristics of sin, the consequences of sin, and then the Christian in relation to sin. So things were going well. God saw everything that he made. It was very good until... Adam and Eve sin. So let's start with, what are the characteristics of sin? What is sin? Be sure that you can define sin from the Bible, and then that you could show people its consequences and its characteristics, because this is such an important subject, and we, we only use the word sin now for dessert. That's sinfully delicious chocolate. We need to have a biblical worldview of what sin is. So let's pray. Father, may your word speak to us, and may we be changed as we worship Christ our Lord, as we grow in the word. We know that the gospel is powerful and Jesus is Lord and the word of God is alive. So we want to meet with you and worship and prayer and ask that you will transform us. And we know that when we gather, we equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so feed our souls, dear Lord, correct us, convert the lost and send us out this week to live our lives for Christ and to make disciples. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. If you were to define sin, you might just say, well, it's when you're bad, but I think you could probably go, I think it's a little bit more than that. So I want to give you a definition. This is a definition I came up with. Failure to conform to God's revealed design and laws. 
So I want you to think just a little bit more than just breaking his laws. I mean, at its core, you could say sinning is when you break God's laws, okay? But I also want you to think about the reality that it also involves failing to, to conform to the way you were made, the way you were designed. So some of you, because you've been in the faith for a while, you know this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you haven't really thought about what that means. Like, no one has ever said that to me. Hey, Tom, you kind of fell short of the glory of God on that one. What does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? Well, I think that's the aspect of this failure to conform to his design. So before we even talk about, you know, don't do this or don't do that, think about the original creation. It was very good, and it was normal for Adam and Eve to worship, honor, and serve God and bring him glory. That's what they were created to do. They didn't have to think about it. They just woke up honoring and worshiping and, and living the way they were designed. But when man sinned, the Bible says in Romans 1, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So, so they began to fail to live up to his design. Professing to be wise, they had a better idea. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. So instead of worshiping and glorifying God as they were designed, they began to worship his creation. So, so the first aspect of sin is we fail to conform to his design, but the other aspect is we, we fail to conform to his laws. God didn't give 10 suggestions. He gave commandments. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall love the Lord your God. And when we look at those laws, we're like, whoa, I know that I've failed to keep his laws. Sin is lawlessness. It's when we break God's laws. But even that, you want to think that through because it, it, the whole idea of when we break God's laws, there's different dimensions to it. So let's start with the fact that there's, we break God's laws not just in our actions, but even in our attitudes. So let's start with actions. It, it is interesting that we use the word commit. Usually, that verb is used to speak of something negative, like he committed a crime, he committed a sin, she committed adultery. So when we sin in our actions, we are committing a violation. There's an active sense of, I did something wrong. But ironically, there's also another side to that. There are sins of omission. James said in James 4.17, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So there would be times where you could biblically say, if someone said, I didn't do anything, you go, exactly. And therein lay your sin. Because you knew what God was telling you to do and you did not do it. Right? So, wow. But here's the danger. A lot of Christians... They learn to play the game. Okay, so I will just try to work on my outward action so I won't curse, you know, and I, and I, and I, won't, I won't be mean and I won't display anger. But on the inside, they don't deal with sinful attitudes. There's a danger in Christianity. That's why legalism is attractive because it's, it's so much about external. Don't drink, you know, don't, don't dance, but you can be critical and judgmental and mean-spirited. So you to think about the fact that many of the sins listed in the Bible are inward. Other people don't see them. Jerry, Jerry Bridges used to call them the respectable sins. And Jesus called out people for this. He, he said, you hypocrites, he goes, don't just clean up the outside of the cup. Don't just work on looking religious. 
But he said, clean up the inside of the cup. Let God change your heart. So think about our sins of pride. The Bible says six things God hates. Seven that are abomination, a proud look. When, when, we, when we think better of ourselves and look down on others. Sins of coveting, wanting what someone else has. Right? Shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Why would anybody want their neighbor's wife? Because we're sinners. And the eyes of men and women are never satisfied. How about the sins of jealousy or hatred? We could play the game. Oh, hi, nice to see you. But on the inside, we might be full of hatred and bitterness. And God wants to deal with those things. Sexual lust. A person doesn't have to be out cheating on their wives to be sinning deeply in sexual lust. In fact, I once talked to a man, and um, he and I were chatting. He goes, man, there's a lot of good-looking girls around here. And I saw he had a wedding ring on. I said, well, I said, um, aren't you married? And he said, well, yeah. I said, well, probably wouldn't be the right idea to be like, Checking out all the good-looking girls. And he goes, hey, even when a man's on the diet, he can look at the menu. And I said, well, perhaps you're not aware that Jesus said, he that looks at a woman to lust after her in his heart has committed adultery. So sin runs deep. Let's not limit it to just our external actions. So that's the definition of sin. But now we have to ask the question, if it's so ugly and awful and horrible, where did it come from? How did it get here? And ironically, a lot of people use the term original sin in the wrong way because original sin is usually used to describe Adam's sin. Adam did not commit original sin. He, he spun off a, a remake of a, of a previous sin, and that was the devil's sin. So, so we learn from the Bible that sin entered the universe through, through this being called Satan. Paul even said, don't put a new convert into the office of elder because he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So what we learn from the Bible is that God created a teeming multitude of beautiful angels. They're not little naked-butted babies. It's ridiculous. They're, they're nothing like that. They're these powerful, awesome beings, innumerable right? Greater in might than us. And of those beings, one of them was an anointed cherub named Satan. And there are two passages in the Old Testament that appear to be discussing the sin of Satan. And they're easy to remember because it's chapter 14 and chapter 28. You remember 14, 28? And it's Isaiah and Ezekiel. But, but what I want you to notice when you're reading the Bible, don't just pull verses out of context. If you read this passage Ezekiel is, is calling out the king of Tyre, which is a city that was, it's around the Holy Land. And God was rebuking this proud, evil king. But he began to say things about the king of Tyre that you're going, wait a minute. This looks like there's a, a, another meaning here, that, that this being can't just be a human king. And so it appears that in these two passages where God denounces human kings, he's also revealing to us, the sin of Satan. So in verse 14, it says, you were the anointed cherub. Now, a cherub was a type of angel who guards the holiness of God. And he said, I placed you there on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. And that's why I go, that, that couldn't be said of a human alone because no one's blameless. We're all sinful. But yet he says, you were blameless in all of your ways from the day you were created until, now look at this phrase, 
unrighteousness was found in you. Underline that in your Bible. Ding, ding, ding. This is where sin began. That's the origin of sin in the universe. Now, there's a great mystery to this. How could this, this being, how could this being suddenly sin just wells up inside of him? And people have come to bad conclusions using logic. God created Satan. Satan sinned. Therefore, God created sin. I would suggest that that is not what the Bible teaches. God did not create sin. However, we do not want to go to the other extreme and say, he just passively, it just happened, and he's like, all right, I guess I'll let it happen. So, so it's, it would be biblical to say that God ordained sin. It was part of his plan and his purpose, but he did not create sin. So Wayne Grudem um, came up with an interesting statement, and I'm going to show you that. In just a moment, but, but let's look at how this happens. What, what went on in Satan? One day he was, he was perfect. The next day he decided in pride and jealousy, I want to be God. And so in Isaiah 14, we see five times uh, this statement, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights. I will make myself like the most high. And it was at that point that he was able to persuade many of the angels to follow him in this rebellion. Now, there's a mystery. We don't know what he said, how he was able to persuade them. But many angels chose to follow him in this rebellion. Now, God could have immediately just said, all right, you're all done. I'm going to zap you. You're annihilated. But instead, he allowed it to go on. He ordained that sin would enter the universe through the voluntary choices of his creatures. So, so don't think of it as an accident, but don't think of it as something he deliberately did. He did not create sin, but, but he ordained it. Now notice Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So he knew. But now here's why it's important to, to think. This is an important phrase. He ordained it. But because he's God, he has the capacity to create a being who will entirely sin of their own voluntary choice, okay? And the reason this is important to understand is the Bible says there's no injustice with God. If God were to punish Satan, even though he caused Satan to sin, then God would be unjust. He did not cause Satan to sin. Satan made an absolute voluntary choice. Satan won't be able to say, what do you mean? You programmed me. I was destined. Neither will Judas be able to say that. Creatures are held responsible for their decisions. And Satan voluntarily chose to rebel against God. Now we're going, well, I don't understand that. Join the club. There's a lot of things about God I don't understand. But there are certain tensions in Scripture. And we know that God does not sin. And God does not create sin. But he permits it. He plans for it. Now, at that point, he could have said, show's over. You guys are all going to hell. He did do something, though, that in the mysteries of his providence, we wouldn't have seen this coming. But somewhere during that time, he created hell. He created this eternal fire. He kindled the flame, so to speak. Now, we learn this from, from, from Jesus in Matthew 25. 
He speaks of the time when he will come back, and some people he will say, welcome into my kingdom, but to the rest he will say, depart from me into eternal fire. This isn't just temporary, this is eternal. But look at this phrase, this eternal fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So you're going, wow, that's, that's profound. Sometime way back in the beginning, God designed and created this place called hell. And if it was originally designed for the devil and his angels, how do people end up there? And that's a valid question, and we're going to talk about that. All right, so we're just answering the question, where does sin come from? It originated in Satan, but originated. That's a new way of pronouncing originated. Um, Sin entered the universe through Satan, but it entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. So here's God now looking down, and Satan in this posture of rebellion has been cast out of heaven. Now he's going to bring his hostility and his wickedness to, to pull and attempt to draw away God's creatures in his image to follow him in this rebellion. So as he tempted Adam and Eve, it was when Adam and Eve sinned that sin entered the world. Right, entered the universe of Satan, the world. So, therefore, justice through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, sometimes theologians refer to this and other things as original sin. Probably not the best word, right? Because it really isn't original sin. Okay? So, so, how did sin get here? Started with Satan, part of God's plan, came into the world through Adam and Eve, and so we kind of have an overview of the characteristics of sin. So, Let's talk about the consequences. All right, that was a long time ago. And it's critical to believe that, right? T to say, oh, Adam and Eve is just a story. You're, 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 out in, you're out in left field if you think Adam and Eve was a story. It's, it's a true story. Jesus referred to Adam and Eve. It's not just a, even, even many Roman Catholic theologians teach it as just a, it's kind of like a parable. It's not actually, it's not, didn't actually happen. There was a literal Adam, a literal Eve, who disobeyed God eating fruit. And the Bible tells us what are the consequences. So the first rub that people have is, wait, so you're telling me that I'm in trouble because of what Adam did. That is not right. That reminds me of when I'm still at my therapist because I missed seven times of recess in third grade because Billy Johnson wouldn't stop talking. It's not fair for me to be punished for what someone else did. And so, so that question is, people will ask that. What, you're, so you're telling me that I'm in trouble for what Adam did? And so there's a way to answer this. Look at verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, justice through one man, sin entered in the world. Yes, Adam made a deliberate decision to disobey God. And the consequences were death. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now hang on. When your child says, why do people die? Why did grandmom die? And you go, well, it's sad, but, but here's what the Bible teaches. Because we're sinners and we sinned. Grandmom's a sinner. Grandmom sinned and we all die because of our sin. And then when Billy asks the next week, why did that newborn baby die? He was only one day old. Well, that newborn baby sinned. He did? So you go, wait a minute. So, so was it Adam's sin or my sin that, that brings condemnation? Somehow there's a mystery to this, but it seems to be both. Somehow it was both Adam's sin and our sin. 
But, but I want you to think about this. I would have expected this verse to end. Death spread to all men because Adam sinned. Why do babies die? Because Adam sinned. But it doesn't say that. And this is past tense. It doesn't say, and someday each little child will grow up and sin. So God is saying somehow that when Adam sinned, all sinned. I don't, I don't understand that, but God's going, what he did, you did. And, and you and I could go like crazy eyes and Mr. Deeds. I don't like it. Right? But frankly, God's not taking a, um, a survey here. So sometimes when people go, I don't like this idea of representation. I don't want what somebody else did to count for me. And I go, please stop talking. Look over my shoulder. You don't want what somebody else did to count for you? I do. Because it wasn't just one event that counted for you. There's another one that can count for you. Right? Just as Adam's sin brought condemnation, Christ's one act on the cross can bring salvation. So, like it or not, representation or somehow God says when Adam sinned. So, we're guilty of Adam's sin. All right, so give me the bad news, Doc. What are the effects? What are the penalties? Well, there's actually three in the Bible. A cursed universe, okay? A condemned race, the whole race, all of us, everyone who ever lived, the seven billion on this earth right now are condemned. They're, they're headed for hell on the fast track in the easy pass lane, the broad road for destruction. And then a corrupt race. They're not only headed for hell, but we're messed up. So how, how do I frame this as, as I'm... As I'm Living in this fallen world, and I'm fallen. Well, let's start with creation itself. We go to the book of Genesis, and we see that God gathers Adam, Eve, and Satan together, and he gives them penalties, all right? So let's start with this, then we'll talk about a cursed universe, and we'll talk about the condemnation and corruption. So look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you, you, you disobeyed me, Cursed are you more than all the cattle. Now you're like, are we talking about snakes or Satan? And the answer is yes. Because the Bible calls the devil the serpent of old. On your belly you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. And then God says in verse 15, I will put enmity, that's hostility, between you and the woman. So between humanity and Satan and his demons, there, there will be a, a disconnect. But I will put enmity between your seed and her seed now, this is a fascinating verse because this tells us right from the beginning that when sin entered the world, God wasn't like, what am I going to do now? The Bible says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So God had this plan to rescue sinners right from the beginning. And this is the first prophecy of Christ coming to die for us. It says, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The seed of the woman was the virgin birth. It was Christ in, in, in predictive prophecy, yeah, you're going to kill him on the cross, but he's going to rise again, and he's going to throw you in hell. And so already we see how great our God is. He's going to solve this sin problem if we accept his solution. But then to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Thank God for epidurals. Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> right? Like I know, right? Now, girls, you're like, but look at this. Your desire will be for your husband. How is that a, a penalty? And he will rule over you. So I think you need to understand what he means by that. That does not mean that my wife Tammy will be waiting at the door going, oh, Tom. 
that phrase is only used a couple times in the Old Testament. It has the idea of dominating or controlling. The same phrase is used in chapter 4 when God calls Cain and he says, listen, sin, he personifies sin like a lion. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Sin's desire is for you, but you must master it. So when God says your desire will be for your husband, he's introducing that there will be conflict. That we will no longer have the same form of co-leadership. And there will be conflict because now he will rule over you. Now that's not intended to mean husbands are dominating bosses of their wives. But part of the curse, and we saw this last week, this, there's this men and women in marriage are not, you know, 100% calling the shots. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And listen to the message from last week. It's online. Understand, men aren't better or smarter. So, then God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, cursed is the ground because of you. So here's what we call cosmic disruption. And he didn't limit it to, to this globe. He, he cursed the entire universe. Cursed is the ground because of you. All the days of your life you'll eat from it. Thorns and thistles it'll grow. And, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. Before that you could just go, peaches, dear? How about some strawberries? Or strawberries, right? Now it's like, dang, I gotta go out there and, and, and farm and work hard. And then God says, oh, and ultimately you're going back to the dust. You're gonna die. And so let's start with this cursed universe. Just something to think about. Like, I think the world's kind of cool, don't you? I mean, the Bible says the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, the earth he has given to the sons of men. It's like a giant playground. My wife and Dr. Black's wife, Cheryl, just went to Iceland to see the northern lights. It was awesome. They showed me pictures. It's like, wow, there's some beautiful parts of creation. But, but in general, remember that this world is messed up. Like, there's a reason why there's hurricanes and fires and earthquakes and famine and disease this whole entire universe is cursed. And, and, and Paul personifies creation like a, like a woman in childbearing. She's gone, this hurts. The earth is on aspirin. The creation was subjected to fertility because of him who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This world's broken. Life is not the way it was meant to be. And it helps us to understand we live in a fallen world and we live in the misery of being in a fallen world because we're fallen and we're corrupt and the world around us is decaying. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just curse the, the, the cosmos. He also condemned the race. So this is really important to think about. A, a lot of times... We're too quick to try to get people saved. We just go, hey, man, the wages of sin is death. You're going to die. People don't go, I never thought about that. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it's far more than just physical extinction where you go, hold me closer, Red. Oh, he died. That's only a, a, a slight portion, as terrible as it is, of what the Bible means when it says death. We need to teach our children this. It's not just, oh, death is just a singular thing where you distinguished from this life. But death actually is a progressive condemnation that involves separation and an ongoing spiral of separation, ultimately from God. So when God said to Adam, today, the day you eat from it, you'll die, immediately Adam died in a certain way. 
And so it's, it's, it's helpful for us as believers to understand there are, there are stages to the progress of death in the Bible, at least three. The first stage is, is what is often referred to as spiritual death. Okay, so a person can be physically quite alive, quite healthy, happy, prancing around on this planet, but inwardly dead, disconnected from God. The Bible says about uh, unbelievers, you were dead in your sins. Now, now, let's think about what that looks like, right? So as far as every person that's born, there's no bars on their, on their, on their spiritual phone. They're disconnected from God. They're working offline, okay? So this doesn't mean everyone hates God. Oh, they're just disconnected. They're fundamentally dead and separated from God. I don't care if they pray. I don't care if they go to church. They're dead. Okay? Now, knowing that about people, this is why Jesus said, you, you, you better come for a redo. Because if you're not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. If I don't make you alive spiritually, you're going to continue into the, the, the progress of death that involves a terrible finality. So everyone's born separated from God, but it gets worse. Because ultimately the reason that physical death happens is because of our, our, our spiritual death. And so we're, we're born headed for the tomb. And frankly, I hate death. And I wish that as Christians we could get a pass on physical death. I'm fine with that. I'm like, Jesus, I don't mind being that generation that's, can I get anybody with me? Like, we who are alive and will be caught up. I'm good with that. Come on, Jesus. But if I have to die physically, right, and I have to face that last enemy, I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Death for us is just a doorway to live as Christ, to die as gain. But it's still a cruel, painful reality that we're all dealing with. And some of you are in great sorrow and pain because of the death of a loved one. Maybe some of you don't know about the ministry of grief share that we have here. But it doesn't end with that because the moment a person's inner being leaves their body, they either go into the presence of the Lord or they go into hell. The Bible says for Christians, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's a temporary thing until they're returned and resurrected. But for unbelievers, they're put into hell. Luke 16, the rich man died who was unsaved. He went to hell. But there's coming a day where God is going to resurrect and bring all of the human beings that ever lived on planet earth before his judgment. And the Bible says that he will, that he will open a book called the book of life. And you'll look at this verse. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is an eternal, ongoing, conscious torment away from the presence of God. It's hideous. It's fearful. And, and people throughout history are offended by that, so they try to explain it away. Well, you're not actually going to stay there. You're, you're either going to be annihilated or, good news, Rob Bell, your love's going to win and you'll change your mind. But that, I wish that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Sin is so awful that that the consequences are eternity in the lake of fire. Now, unless you are not listening, you should be asking yourself, is my name in that book? If you're kind of just new here and you're like, hey, I, I haven't read the Bible that much. Am I in that book? 
That's a great question. And if you're a Christian, your name's in that book. And that's something to get excited about. Jesus, Jesus called his disciples out. He gave them power to cast out demons. And they were excited about that. They came back. They were rejoicing that they cast out demons. They were like, one time I did one like this, and another time I went like this. And Jesus goes, stop it. He goes, don't rejoice that you cast out demons. Rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Not because I deserve it, but you come to Jesus in faith. He'll wash you from your sin, and he'll write your name in the book of life. Years ago, we used to sing this. They were called hymns, right? There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. The white-robed angels tell the story. A sinner has come home. If you're a Christian, rejoice. Your name is in the book of life. Your life might not be gone very good, but if your name's in the book of life, it is well with your soul because you're forgiven, and you're going to spend eternity with Christ. And if you're, if you're not sure about that, then talk to somebody. I, I, it boggles my mind how people can come and listen to the word of God and go, I don't know if I'm saved. And I don't. Well, then do something about it. Come, come, inquire. We'll show you from the Bible. We'll help to, God wants you to have peaceful assurance, not tortured fear. I'm not sure I'm saved. It's normal to struggle. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Lots of Christians struggle with that. But don't just go away and fear. Come and and learn the promises of God, and learn what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus and to have forgiveness and assurance. So with that in mind, the last one, you're like, Pastor Tom, you're really Debbie Downer today. I'm going, don't shoot the messenger. I got to tell you what the Bible says. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. We're not only condemned, we're corrupt. We not only have a penalty for sin, we have a powerful influence, a disease. It runs deep. We have a disposition of rebellion against God. Now, this is really important to think about. Oh, sorry about that. The Bible says that the mindset on the flesh, to, to just be a person and not be born again, this is what your disposition is. The mindset on the flesh is hostility toward God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And so the next verse says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can go to church every day the rest of your life cannot please God because fundamentally we have a disposition of rebellion against God. This is why children misbehave. It's not because they didn't have a good environment. It's because the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful and foolishness is bound in the heart of children and all we like sheep have gone astray. We are sinful to the core and we can clean up the outside but Jesus says out of the heart proceeds fornication, immorality, lust, pride. So, so I go, wait a minute. So you're telling me that people are messed up. And I'm going, no, I didn't tell you that. God did. And because we've inherited this disposition apart from Christ, people spend their entire life a prisoner to sin. Trying to figure out, what am I here for? Maybe this girl will make me happy. Maybe this job Maybe these drugs, maybe this substance will mask my pain. The flesh brings nothing but destruction. The Bible says the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sexual, or sensuality, sexual sins, relational sins, strife and jealousy and divisiveness and anger and hatred and people are hating one another and, they're, and drunkenness and idolatry and all of these things that just destroy people and we're like... Are we mad? And, and the answer is yes. The entire planet is delusional. 
And apart from the grace of God, we would be swept up into this awful tide of corruption. You're like, well, thanks, Pastor Tom. I think I'm just going to go and... Uh, yeah, see you next week. Yeah, have a good day. Bless you, bless you. Can't end on that. What are the applications? We've got to end with Jesus. Because this is what Jesus is all about. You can't understand and praise him for what he's done if you don't understand the fall. You can't sing, ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. So here comes the good news. We live in a cursed world in cosmic disruption. But Christ not only came to die for us, but he came to bring about a cosmic redemption. He's not just going to go, ah, I don't care about the earth. Let that thing just whatever. The Bible says in Colossians 1, it was the Father's good pleasure that through Christ he would reconcile all things to himself. When Peter preached about the recoming return of Christ, he said, heaven receives Christ until the restoration of all things, mosquitoes, poison ivy, that stuff's out of here. The song Joy to the World, I think Joy to the World is about the return of Christ, not Christmas. No more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his glory known, for as the curse is found. He's going to give this world a makeover like no one's ever seen. This whole universe is going to melt with intensity. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to reconcile this cosmic disruption. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven. We'll skip that verse. But praise Jesus. Adam's sin brought an awful curse. But Jesus took that curse on himself to spare us. To save us and to bless us. So maybe for some of you, you're like, wow, that preacher's telling us bad news. But oh, I would to God that you'll go out singing, by God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned until my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Here's the good news of the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I should be headed for eternal flames. But because he went up on that cross and he bore my sins in his body and God poured out his wrath on Jesus, he hung on that tree cursed of God so that you and I in Christ Jesus can receive the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is far more than the forgiveness of sins. It's the eternal life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. We, because of the work of Christ on the cross, we receive the spirit, we receive the benefits and blessings of the new covenant. So celebrate that Christ cured your condemnation through his cursed event on that Calvary's cross. And keep looking there. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be singing to him about that. You are worthy, O Lord, because you, you, you were slain. You loosed us from your sins, from our sins in your blood. You redeemed us. Praise the Lord. That's not for a bunch of charismatic nuts. It's for people who are as sound and sober as, as anybody on this planet. If you worship Christ for redeeming you. Everybody else is crazy if they think little of the cross. Not us. Because the Bible says that. The cross is foolishness to unbelievers. But to us who are saved, there's a beauty, there's a power to the cross of Christ. But praise Jesus, he didn't just say, all right, I'll take care of the cosmic curse and I'll take care of your condemnation. He will also take care of our corruption. 
Oh, what good news is the gospel. He did not say, look, I'm going to leave you there as a prisoner, tormented, enduring the bondage of sin. But he came to undo what the devil thought he had permanently put in motion. The Bible says everyone who, now notice the word practice, lifestyle. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. There's a madness, a deceitfulness to sin. So many people just live, hey man, it's fun, why not? What are you talking about, right? There's a delusional drunkenness that sin offers. But Christ appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, no one who has seen him or knows him. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now look at verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Now this is a really interesting verse. It says the devil has sinned from the beginning. That's probably not the best way to translate it. That verb in the original language is in the present tense. The devil is sinning from the beginning. You're like, wait, you can't use present tense for something that happened a long time ago. God says, I just did. Think of the vividness. The devil is sinning from the beginning. He began sinning, and he's been doing it ever since. And he's sinning day after day after day. And the sad thing is, is his sins are leading others to hell. Misery loves company. And every soul that perishes, the God of this world has blinded their minds. But Jesus didn't sit back and say, oh, no, what am I going to do now? The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And it wasn't just the penalty. It's the power of sin to reign over our lives. He came to give you a new life. And when you receive that new birth from Christ, you receive a new life. You are a new creature with a new heart with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and you begin to progressively experience transformation. He didn't save us to, to live our lives in bondage and squirming to the misery of the destructiveness of sin. He came to set us free. And so John says, no one who has been born of God practices sin because the seed abides in him. He can't. He's born of God. God has put within him a new heart. He has caused us and drawn us with this new covenant blessing to will and work for his good pleasure. Now, please understand this. This is not saying if you're born again, you don't sin. If I, if I had the King James Bible, I'd jump out of the window right now because the King James Bible translates it this way. No one who's born again sins. No one who's born again sins. The idea here is it's in the present tense to show an ongoing, uninterrupted pursuit of sin. So let me just make this clear to you. People struggle all the time. Am I born again? I must not be born again because I still sin. But what happens when you sin? Do you enjoy and indulge and delight in it? Do you pursue it more and more? So many sins, so little time? Or do you struggle under the weight and the bondage? Do you feel remorseful? Do you desire to repent? Do you sense the both the, the beauty of God's grace, but the disciplining hand of the Lord. Christians do not comfortably live lives of ongoing wickedness. They don't live with their girlfriend for years and just go, hey man, I'm saved, I got my hell insurance. The Spirit of God dwells within us, and if you're a Christian, He convicts us of our sin. But please, if you're struggling under the weight of sin, that doesn't mean you're not born again. Here's what you should be fearful of. If you practice sin and it doesn't disturb you, 
If it's not an issue, you're like, yeah, I know I'm an addict. I know I'm a liar. I know I'm a thief. I know I'm immoral. So what? Everybody, you know, has their thing, right? Thank God that Christ came to live in us, to forgive us. Now, it's not going to be overnight, okay? None of us has arrived, but you should expect to experience some evidence of a new heart from God. And this will help you as you think back on your testimony. I hear this all the time. I think I was saved at 5. I think I was saved at 9. Then I went forward at 12. And then I went forward, you know. When did something happen between you and sin? When did you and sin begin to separate? And you began to say, I, I feel a change that, that the Lord... It doesn't have to be immediate, right? You don't have to see the, the sunrise and know the sun's out. But this morning, if, if, if sin bothers you, and, and, and you flee to the cross, that's a great sign as, as, you're, as you're seeking to overcome sin. We're all strugglers. That's why we're doing a Bible study together, how people change. We tell people, come to Christ just as you are. Be forgiven. Experience the power of the gospel. But we don't tell people, now stay as you are. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so we just, we just need to praise him. Amen? He, he bore the curse, but he also broke its power and gave us the Spirit of God so that we can grow. And maybe you've been all over the place. Lock into Jesus. Cling to Christ. Trust in Christ. Surrender to Christ. Make it all about Christ. And the Lord Jesus will sanctify you, and you will grow, and you will experience the victory, and you will begin to see that you and I can, through prayer and humility and faith, do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We have a great Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. The fall is hideous, but our faithful Savior is glorious. And so we turn our attention to you. We worship. Thank you so much, Jesus. Send us forth, Lord, rejoicing that we're forgiven. Send us forth encouraged that no matter how much we struggle, that you will never forsake us. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Help us to train our children and point them to the cross. And may we continue to see you raise up a mighty army of transformed gospel workers who are going out into the world with the message of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. I'll be here if you have questions or anything I can help you with.